things that I was thinking about, uh, you know, the thing, the thing that messes up our life the most isn't the devil, and it isn't the temptations that we face, and it isn't the evil circumstances that we go through. Oftentimes what messes us up the most is misplaced priorities in our lives. When we get our priorities out of whack and we get our commitments out of whack, then our life gets out of whack. And so for this reason, we've been talking about over these last few weeks, this idea of making those commitments, those right commitments, so that we can make it in life. And uh, we've been talking about God first, which means making God our priority. We talked about the first hour of the day, which means, you know, uh, making that commitment to be spend time in intimacy with God. Last week, we talked about the first day of the week talking about the idea of uh, committing to the community of the believers in God and the need for church and the need to be the church. And I'm talking about capital C and small C church. How many of you know that you're part of the capital C church everywhere all over the world, but to be involved and committed to a local community? But today I want to talk about First Pray. That's the title of my message today. And I want to talk about the priority and power of praying, not just privately, but corporately. In fact, I want to show you in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, this is what the Apostle Paul said. Therefore, I exhort first of all. Everybody say first of all. And that, it's right there in the Bible. First, the first thing he says, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. So the Apostle Paul's writing to Timothy about how to pastor, how to build, how to, how to build a, a church there in the city of Ephesus, and he, and he gets to this part in chapter 2, and he says, okay, so when you're, when you're putting together a church, he'll talk about leadership later. But he says, first, build a house of prayer. Be a praying person. Pray for everybody. Pray for one another. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for the people you like and the people you dislike. And pray for all governmental leaders so that we could step into who we ought to be in godliness and reverence so that as a result of that, everybody everywhere can get saved. So what Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, prayer is so essential and so powerful because it builds the character of God's people to be who they should be so that God through them can bring unredeemed people to himself. And so we, first of all, everybody say first of all, we must be a praying church and a praying people. And so that's my word today. And I just want to ask, Lord, bless the word today. Bless the message. Teach us and train us by the power of your word. In Jesus' name, and everybody says, amen. Now, the book of Acts, we see that the church is a praying church. There are 13 different times in the book of Acts where it talks about how the church would come together and that they would pray. And it gives various reasons why they would do that. And then it oftentimes will give the result of what happened at the end 
of their coming together and being in prayer. And I got to share one of these stories with you. It's lengthy, but I'm going to read it to you. I want you to follow along in Acts chapter 12. And uh, this is just a really fun story. It begins at verse 1. It says, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested Peter, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. In other words, he was going to kill Peter next. But he was waiting for Passover to be done. Verse 5. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, the night... How many of you like it when God waits till the very last minute? Not me. But anyway, it says that when Herod was about to bring him out, that night, Peter was sleeping. What... The power of prayer. This guy is at rest. He's at peace. Peter was sleeping, bound between, uh, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And as he rose up, the chains fell off his hands. How do you like that? That's how God wakes you up. He strikes you. And the chains fell off his hands. Verse 8, then the angel said to him, gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they were past the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down the street, and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So... When he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, when they were where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was before them at the gate. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. And she kept insisting that it was so. And they said, well, then it's his angel, meaning they thought maybe he's dead by now and his angel is kind of drifting through the city before it goes into heaven, so to speak. And then it says in verse 16, now Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Amen. I don't know who said this. I found this quote somewhere. It said, the price of prayerlessness far exceeds the price of prayer. 
I worked for my first job as an associate pastor, a youth pastor, was Randy Ballard. And Randy Ballard was a great teacher in the area of prayer. I used to have to meet with him. I say have to, but it was good. But every morning when we, before we started our work day, we went into the sanctuary, knelt down at the altar, and we prayed every morning that we came to work. And he would always say, before, uh, when he was talking to the people, he would, have to, he would say, we have to be willing to pray the price. Pray the price. That was one of his favorite expressions. And so I want to talk about this idea of praying the price today, being a praying church, being a praying people. And my outline today is very simple. Why do we need to pray? And then I want to talk about how we pray And then finally, I want to end with this idea of what happens when we as God's people pray. But first of all, why do we pray? Now, the Bible is replete with scriptures where God is constantly calling his people to call on him in prayer. One of the most famous scriptures we often quote is that Old Testament scripture where the Lord said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, Seek my face and pray and will turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their disease. Or I will, I will hear from heaven and I will hear, heal their land. Is that it? Forgive their sin. Thank you so much. Forgive their sin and I will heal their land. That was a bad quotation, but aren't you glad for the power of that word? Amen. So... We see that in God, God is constantly calling us to prayer, but often is the case that we don't pray. And why is it that we don't pray as a people and sometimes even as whole churches? Well, sometimes we don't know how to pray. We've never been taught to pray. We don't know how to approach God. And so we kind of leave that up to other people and we wait till we get to church or get around very spiritual people so that they can pray for us because we don't feel confident in our prayers because we don't know how. Other times we're too distracted to pray. We're too busy with our lives to pray, to get around to prayer because we're so busy trying to you know, put all the pieces of life together and hold it together. And then there are other times, that some, and this leads to another reason why we don't pray, is because we are so, uh, 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 we, we tend to trust in our own strength and in our own ability to solve our own problems and figure out our own life, our own way to go to God and pray. Why call on God when I can fix it myself or I can do it myself? And then there's another reason sometimes people don't feel very close to God. They know that God knows that they're a big screw up and that there's no way that God could listen to them. This is what people think about themselves. God is not going to listen to me because I messed up. I committed a sin. I, you know, whatever the case may be. And so this keeps people from going to prayer. But there's another, to me, more sinister, and I would even say it's a satanic reason why people don't pray. And, I, and I'm going to couch it in this phrase, that, so hold on to me, don't get mad at me. But it's, it's that idea of the misunderstanding of what the sovereignty of God is. Now, some people believe that, I mean, how many you know, first of all, How many of you know that God is sovereign? Okay, so hang on with me. 
But some people believe that God's sovereignty means that he's in control of everything and that he's going to do what he's going to do and there ain't nothing you can do about it. If God is in control, then then whatever is going to happen and whatever does happen must be his will. So really there's no real need to pray. To me, this is a satanic scheme to silence the people of God from calling on God. To me, this is a really bad misunderstanding and representation of what the sovereignty of God means. Let me just start out by saying, I want to say this, I want to make it very clear. The reason why we must pray is because God is sovereign. That's why we pray. That's why we go to God. And let me explain this to you. The word sovereign comes from two words put together, which means supreme reign or supreme ruler. How many know that God is the supreme ruler? Back in Genesis chapter 1, after God created the heavens and the earth, in his sovereignty, he created everything But also in his sovereignty, after he created man, he chose to give dominion to mankind on the face of the earth. That was his sovereign choice. In his sovereignty, he said, I want you to rule and reign in the earth. And Adam and Eve began to rule and reign in the earth. And they began to establish the rule and the sovereignty of God in the earth by their act of obedience to him and being who he wanted them to be and doing what he wanted them to do. But how many of you know they messed up really bad? And what happened was as a result of their own sin and rebellion against God, there came a void in the earth. And you know what Satan did? He stepped into that void. And where they were supposed to have dominion and rulership on the earth, according to what God had told them, they lost it, they forfeited it, they gave it over, and Satan stepped in, and he took over the rulership of the earth, and he brought ruination, and heartache, and disease, and calamity, and hatred, and division all, all over this world, and all over this planet. But God told Adam and Eve, he said, okay, you messed up. And now there's going to be a repercussion of this. Death has entered into the world. But I'm promising you that I'm going to send somebody through the seed of the woman. And she's going to bring forth the child. And there is going to come a deliverer who is going to restore your lives. He's going to forgive you of your sins. He's going to wipe away your sins through his death. And he's going to recover dominion on the earth. This is where we give a good praise the Lord to Jesus right now. Because Jesus was that one who came. And in his death on the cross, the Bible tells us that he destroyed the works of the devil. And Jesus said, after his resurrection, he said, All authority now in heaven and on the earth has been given to me. And he said to the church, Because I have the authority, I'm the head, you're my body, I give you my authority in the earth. And this is what he said to them in Matthew chapter 16 verse 19. And I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you 
bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus said, I'm giving you my authority. That's what keys represent. And he said, when you bind, it's bound. I'm, in, I'm walking in agreement with you. And when you loose, it's loose because I'm walking in agreement with you. This is my will. My will in heaven is coming to earth when you step into your authority and exercise your power. Now, there are different ways. Keys represent different things. But I think just like there are many keys on our key ring, one of the main keys is the key of prayer. So that Jesus in his sovereign rule, in his sovereignty, said, I choose to give you my authority. And whatever you bind will be bound. Whatever you loose will be loosed in the power of of prayer. Church, this is why we pray. Why do we pray? If God already knows everything, because God has chosen to keep himself in, a, in this area where he says, I want my people to call on me. I want my people to see what is out of alignment and call upon me. I want my people to reach out to me and depend upon me. And when And when they act in that kind of faith, I come into agreement with what they're doing on the earth and my will will be done through my people. If my people who are called by my name. Amen. Come on, church. Can I get a good amen? Uh, This is why we pray. It would be something like this. If I were going on a long vacation to, oh, I don't know, let's say Hawaii. And I was going to spend a lot of time there snorkeling and laying around on the beach and doing nothing. But, just, but, I, but in my going away, I needed somebody to stay at my house. And I give them my keys. And I say, I want you to live in my house. I want you to cook in my house. You can even sleep in my house. You can wear your shoes on my carpet in my house. I don't even care. I'm giving you my keys And I want you to occupy until I come back, and I'm going to be gone a really long time. Just so you know. And I give you the authority of my house. People take my keys, and they can walk in, they can eat there, they can sleep there, they can cook there. I want them there. I want the world to know that they're in my house. I want people passing by knowing somebody's living there. And they're occupying. But what if something breaks down? What if something, what if a pipe bursts? What if, what if the, uh, uh, the heater breaks down? What, do you, what am I supposed to do? Just call on me, and I'll wire you the money. You just keep living there. That's what we're talking about in a very simple way. Jesus said, I'm going away. I want you to occupy. And one of the ways you occupy, this is not the only way, probably the greatest way that we occupy is by expressing and extending the love of God to broken humanity. But this prayer, Paul said, first, first, most important of all, is to be a people of prayer because that's how God begins to move in the earth is through the prayers of his people. Amen, church. So that's why we pray. That's all I want to talk about there. How do we pray? Well, I want to come back now to this second idea, how we pray. Coming back to this story in the book of Acts, we see the church 
is in a very desperate situation. One of Jesus' original 12 disciples, James, was martyred. He was killed by King Herod. And Peter was next in line. Peter was waiting in prison. They were going to kill him. Because of what happened to James, I think the church could have thought, well, you know, James' life wasn't spared. He died. And Jesus did tell us, you know, that they're going to persecute you. So, you know, maybe we just need to accept these things and just know that these kinds of things are going to happen and there's really not a whole lot we can do about it, you know, because God is sovereign, you know, and He's in control of everything. And if it happens, it must be His will. But you know what this church did? And when I go, eh, that's an anointing. You know what this church did? They prayed. They already lost James. I don't know if that was a wake-up call to them or not. I don't know if when James was in prison, maybe the church, I don't, the, the Bible doesn't say, I don't want to make them look bad, but I don't know, maybe they didn't have the kind of prayer, but when James was taken out, all of a sudden, it was like, wait a minute, something is happening here, and we know this is not God. We know that God's not in this. We know that there's an enemy against his church. Jesus said that the gates of hell shall not be able to prevail against the church. But we know that doesn't mean that hell won't try to stop it. And so in that passion and in that realization, they got together and they prayed. And church, this is what we need to do. And how they prayed is the way that we need to be a praying church and a praying people when this is how they did they got busy praying how did they do it first of all they prayed constantly chapter 12 verse 5 says that peter therefore was kept in prison but constant prayer everybody say constant constant prayer was offered to god for him by the church sometimes when we're up against a problem when we're praying about a disease when we're praying about the government when we're praying about our city we're we're, sometimes we're down deep in our soul we're like why do we keep doing this because there is an enemy that keeps coming against the will of god in the earth there's an enemy trying to hold back the kingdom of god but it shall not prevail And one of the reasons it won't, Jesus said, is because when you see things that need to be loose, you will loose them. And when you see things that need to be bound, you will bind them. Hallelujah. We need to pray constantly. That word constant literally means to stretch out with this idea of unceasingness and intentionality and fervency. Paul said in the book of Thessalonians that we are to pray without ceasing. Prayer time isn't just in your closet time or just when you show up at church time. Prayer time is all day long time, everywhere time. Come on, church. But, the, but we keep coming together in constant prayer. And I want to say something about constant prayer. It is not about begging God. It is not trying to get God to see things our way, but rather being bold in the presence of God 
and pressing into God. This is why Jesus spoke a parable in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, that men ought always to pray and never quit, never stop, never give up. And he told the parable of this poor widowed woman and this unjust judge and how she bugged him to death so that he gave her her request. And then, but the point that Jesus was saying is that you are not some poor widow child. You're a child of God. And you're not appealing to an unjust judge. You're appealing to your heavenly father. That's why he summed it all up. How much more will your father in heaven give you what you're asking for? Woo, come on. Be constant in prayer. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, and that means literally, everyone who keeps on asking, keeps on receiving. This is in the tense and mood of the original language. And he who keeps on seeking, keeps on finding. And he who keeps on knocking, it will keep on being open to them. Can I just say something about some of the things we're up against? This is what it sounds like. There are, there are doors that are closed that need to be opened. Well, if God closes the door, oh, come on. Jesus himself said it. Prayer is largely knocking on doors. Amen. Pray constantly. Keep, turn to your neighbor and tell him, keep on knocking. We need to pray constantly. Number two, we need to pray corporately. The Bible said that constant church, uh, constant, constant prayer was being offered up by the church. It said later in that passage that many of them were gathered together. Many of the church were gathered together praying. There is power in corporate prayer. What the, the, thing, the thing that happens, and uh, I remember one of, my, one of my favorite pastor preachers of all time was Jack Hayford, and he said, I find that I pray a thousand times better when I pray with other people. And he was a man who prayed alone and solitary with, by himself. He was dedicated, but he said, I find I pray a thousand times better when I'm with other people. And so... What the, the power of corporate prayer is that it unifies our hearts. We have this sense that we are together. It edifies our faith. There's a, there's a sense of an expectancy that rises when we're coming together. And then it also, I believe, organizes our efforts. It brings us together and it makes us a mighty force in the earth. This is why Rachel has led the ministry of persistent prayer in our church in varieties of ways because we need to come together like an army and get organized as an army so that we can be a prayer force in the earth. And I love God's promise to the children of Israel, and I claim it for us, where God said in the book of Leviticus 26, verse 8, five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put 10,000 to flight, 
your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. God was saying, when you come together in unity, when you come together corporately, when you meet with your little group of prayer warriors, I hear there are some people that are getting together and they call this thing prayer strike. They're having a prayer strike and I know that they're doing that. And this is exciting to me because that's what we need all over the city. That's what, that's what our nation needs all over this nation where people will come together and they will strike against the forces of hell. They will be a prayer force forcing back the strongholds of the enemy in prayer. And we do this best. And why do we do this? And I want to say it again. The reason why we do this, why we must do this, is because God has a will. A wheel. A, a wheel. A will. Satan, too, has a will. He wants to obstruct God's will. What's our role? To pray forth the will of God. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in the earth as it is in heaven. God said, I'm putting you in charge and I work with my praying people. Wherever my people pray. Amen. Come on, are we doing all right out there? So we need to pray constantly. We need to pray corporately. And we need to pray confidently. After Rhoda went to the people, you know, Peter's out there knocking on the door. And she goes in. She doesn't even open the door. She's so excited. She goes back to those quote-unquote prayer warriors and said, Peter's out there. They're like, you're out of your mind. And she insisted, no, he's out there. He's out there. He's knocking on the door. Get this. The church was knocking on heaven's door in prayer and the answer was knocking on their door. They couldn't believe when they opened the door, they were amazed. They were, the the word amazed, um, I looked it up, it actually can be translated insane. In other words, they were like just completely out of their mind. Like, whoa, this is unbelievable. Believable. Here they are praying. They're praying. God, do something. God, move. And then he does, and they're like, whoa, I wasn't prepared. I didn't know. Uh, I think this kind of goes back to sometimes we can go through the motions of perfunctory prayer activity with doubt and unbelief. We don't, we don't really believe. Amen. I was talking to Kim the other day on the phone. We were talking about an issue. And she said, I have so much faith right now. And I said, I'm going to hang on to your coattails. Because that's what, a, and she's like, well, you can do that. But you need to have so much faith right now. <laughs> Come on, anybody ever, like you want to ride somebody's coattails. But how often does this happen to us? We pray, but we don't really believe. You know, Peter said in Peter, uh, James said in James chapter 5, is any, is any among you suffering? Pray. Is anybody sick? Pray. Call forth the elders of the church. Let them lay hands upon them and pray for them. And the, this is what he said. And the prayer of faith will raise them up. That's a powerful phrase. That, that little phrase, I think it's the only place in the Bible that I saw it 
The prayer of faith. James said the prayer of faith. You know what I think he's implying there? Not all prayer is full of faith. We need to pray with faith. Believing. What is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of what I don't presently see. I don't see it, but I have faith for it. Hallelujah. Church, we got we to... Gotta, I mean, this world is in desperate need of people to walk in faith believing, to pray the prayer of faith. Not just in church, out there in the real world. To step into that gap and to pray, but also to be a church of prayer. Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty four, this is Jesus' words. I didn't say this. Not some faith preacher somewhere made this up. Jesus said, Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. That's the words of Jesus. That's in the red part of your Bible. Amen. What are you up against right now? How do, how do I approach this? How do I pray about this? Pray constantly. Get together with other people and join forces and pray together. But also, fill your heart with confidence in the goodness and the greatness of God. Hallelujah. This is Paul said, when you build a church, first pray. That's what he said. So, we talked about why we pray, because our sovereign God has transmitted his authority to us to call forth heaven in the earth. That's why. How do we do it? We do it constantly. We do it corporately together. And we do it confidently. Now, number three, let's talk about what happens when we pray. What can we expect? And this passage really shows this. The church was praying as they ought to have done. And here's the beautiful thing. And get ready. This is good, right? So when you read the story, put yourself right there. Here's the, I'm, not, I'm not excusing negative praying, but even though their prayers lacked confidence, God was still working. <laughs> Amen. So, you know, sometimes God just has to work with what he gets. I said yes to the Lord many years ago, and he's like, I think I can work with that. Amen. And so God was still moving. On their side of things, I can imagine, and test me on this, on their side of things, their prayer meeting may have felt dry, powerless, ineffective. This is why people don't come to prayer meetings most of the time. They don't think prayers leave the roof of the ceiling of the church. It feels dry. It feels powerless. It feels ineffective. Here they were meeting in a house. They were praying. James was dead. Peter was going to die unless God stepped in. And they, on their side of things, it didn't, it, it may have felt to them as it wasn't working, but it, it couldn't have been more powerful. 
It couldn't have been more effectual. On the other side of things, in the places where they couldn't see, God was moving. God was moving. When the church prays, God works miracles. As they were praying, the Lord does what he often does. He dispatches angels. He dispatched an angel. Chains that bound him just fell. Then Peter was raised up, told to get up, get dressed, put your shoes on. We're getting out of this place. And he was led out of the prison totally undetected. He thought he was dreaming. But he he didn't realize he's in the middle of a miracle. He's a walking, talking miracle. What are miracles? Miracles are acts of God that defy and overpower the laws of nature. Nature says, you got this, this is going to happen. Nature says, this is the way the world functions and these are the laws that are set in place and nothing can stop this. This is the way it's going to be. But a miracle is when God steps in and he says, that natural thing, I'm supernatural. I supersede natural things. Job chapter 9 verse 10 says that God does great things too marvelous to understand. He performs countless miracles. Hallelujah. Prayer, and this is why prayer is so important. Prayer, I believe we all, I think I'm preaching to the choir here today. Prayer is the catalyst through which God performs miracles. He's chosen it to be so. Can he do it without us? Yeah, he can. Has he? Maybe, probably, but he has chosen to say, when you pray, you move me. It's not that I'm your vending machine, but I am your father, and I said that I will work and walk in partnership with you if you have chosen to walk in partnership with me. And so it's prayer is the catalyst for these. A great preacher and pastor, his name is Tony Evans, said this, without prayer, we become limited to the natural. If we don't have the power of prayer, we are limited to the natural. But church, when it seems impossible, that's when we need to press in. We need to press in all the time. But when we run up against stuff and we're like, oh, oh no, we should say, oh yeah, let's go to God. Come on. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 27, this is the Lord. He says, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? It's a rhetorical question. Obviously not. But the phrase that I love in there, I'm the God of all flesh. Amen. Come on. I'm over everyone and everything. Praise God. So when the church prays, God works miracles. When the church prays, God does more than we could ever imagine. While they were praying, God was doing things that they didn't even understand what he was doing. 
And Paul told us that this is how God operates. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that works within us. So we're praying and God is working with our prayers and he knows how to fine tune our prayers, because our prayers sometimes are a little out of tune, and he knows how to fine-tune them. But he takes our prayers as they come, and he's doing things beyond what we could ever imagine. We're thinking, I want this, and I need to see this, and he's like, I'll do that and more, and he does. For instance, uh, in this passage, in uh, Acts chapter 12, verse 1, it says that Herod was on a murderous rampage of the church. At the end of the chapter, after all is said and done, Herod is up in the region of Sidon and Tyre, and uh, he's receiving praise from the people, and they're saying to him, you are more than a man, you're a god, small g. And the Bible said God struck him dead with an angel because he refused to give glory to God. At the beginning of the chapter, he's a problem. At the end of the chapter, he's a non-issue. God does more. Come on, church. <laughs> We're asking for this, and he's like, and I'll up you. I'll do more. Praise God. Hallelujah. And then another reason, what, another thing that happens, not only does God work miracles, not only does God do more than we could imagine, but God will, God will multiply and grow his kingdom through our prayers. Verse 24 Acts 12:24 uh, Katie where are you at let's let's come to the let's come to the keys and shut me up Acts 24 uh, Acts 12:24 says but the word of the Lord grew and multiplied I believe that under the the drive of satanic powers Herod tried to stop the church but Jesus said hell can't stop what I'm doing and this is why the church went to prayer, corporately, confidently, constantly. You know what God's will for the earth is? You know what God's will for the United States of America, Southwest Montana, Butte, Montana, your life, my life? You know what God's will is? Is to raise up his kingdom in the earth, here and now. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And the catalyst of that is prayer. Paul said first, not second, not third, not down the line. Don't get your leadership in order first. Pray first. He talks about leadership later in the book. He first of all said pray. Get your prayer life in order, and then all the other things will step in there. And so God needs a praying church. And when I was reading through the book of Acts, I told you that there were 13 different places in the book of Acts where it talks about the praying church, and then it gives the result of their prayers. And I found and I discovered when I was studying this was that six out of the 13 times it mentions specifically that as a result of their prayer, the kingdom of God grew, the word of God expanded, people were getting saved. Come on, that's the greatest miracle of all, is that lost, broken humanity who don't know Jesus get saved. That's what Paul said, God's will is that everybody be saved, pray, so that we get ourselves in order, 
so that through us, lost and hurting lives can be brought into the kingdom and they get saved. But you got to pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together. Speaking of prayer, please keep Daniel in your prayers for this coming week as, uh, and Rachel and the family as well. Can I have my prayer uh, teams come on up? Hey, today, if you're in need of a miracle, I want to invite you to come and receive prayer. If you need a healing, come and receive prayer. If, you're, if some area of your life is on the line and you don't know how I'm going to get through this, come and receive prayer. If you're out of peace, come and receive prayer. If you want to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, come and let these folks help walk you into the kingdom of God to know Him personally. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this time together. Thank you that Daniel is in this room today. We give you praise, Lord, for touching him and helping him and being with him. We pray, Lord, that you would be with him this week, Lord, and give them traveling mercies over to Billings today. And God, we just pray that, that the, there would be a, a report that comes back. I don't know what happened, but it's no longer there. God, that is our prayer. That is our prayer for complete and full healing and recovery. In Jesus' name, bless your people, God. Make us a praying force in the earth, I pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody says, amen. God bless you. Come if you need prayer.